Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Motherkind podcast with me your host Zoe Blasky where each week I chat about all things motherhood and well-being. My mission with this podcast is to help you reconnect to you, to feel happier, more joyful, calmer and that little bit kinder to yourself because I think life as a mum in this hectic modern world is hard enough as it is. I believe becoming the happiest, most alive version of ourselves is the most important and inspiring thing we can do for our children. Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of the Motherkind podcast. As you may know, through August I don't put out any new episodes. Instead, I re-release my favourite episodes and the most downloaded episodes from the year before. So this week is with the rather brilliant Sarah Knight. She is the famous author of the No F's Given Guides the most famous book that she did that I'm sure you would have seen, it was huge a few years ago, was called The Life-Changing Magic of Not Giving an F. You may have noticed I'm saying F a lot. This episode does come with a swear warning. So Sarah does swear. One of the brilliantly hilarious things about her is she calls herself a self-help author, but she is also very brash and very funny and she swears a lot so a warning if you have little ears around this may be one to listen to with your earphones on walking around the supermarket or when you are on your own whether that happens (laughs) or not very often so this episode was to celebrate sarah's book which was just out in december 2019 called F no, how to stop saying yes when you can't, you shouldn't, or you just don't want to. So this episode is all about how to say no. And if you are a regular listener of the podcast, or perhaps you follow me on Instagram or read my blog posts, you will know I am evangelical about boundaries, saying no, because that helps us protect our very, very, very precious energy. Energy is so finite and time I believe is the most precious resource we have because it's the one thing that we can't ever get back so Sarah teaches us how to say no in lots of different scenarios and why it's important to do so so I hope you really enjoy this episode I actually don't think this one got the attention that it deserved partly because I recorded this when I was really pregnant with Rose my youngest I think we recorded it and I was about 36 or 37 weeks pregnant and then Emma who helps me in the back end with the podcast and everything she put it out when Rose was about two weeks so we didn't do much kind of chat about it or Instagram I don't think I replied to any messages about it because I wasn't working so I'm thinking that some of you may have not heard this one before so I hope you really enjoy it before we get into the episode I just want to remind you about the family reset plan hundreds of you have done it now and the feedback is just phenomenal what I keep hearing time and time again is that the two and a half hour workshop is really giving you the tools for your own and your children's emotional resilience and if ever there was a time that we need emotional resilience it is now we really have no idea what's going to happen come september december january so i believe if you don't learn these tools now there is no better time to be able to find that place of calm 
and acceptance and resilience within yourself and help your children find that within themselves too. It's just £25 at the moment. I am going to put it up to 47 So I would grab it now if you're interested whilst it's just 25 you can listen to it. There's an audio version in there. So if you are going away, you can listen to it perhaps in the car on the way down. If you want to expose your family to it, you could listen to it just like you do a podcast. It's two and a half hours. Or there's a workbook that you can work through and there's also video. So there's loads of different ways that you can access the content. It's also free if you work for the NHS. So in honour of our gratitude for the amazing work that you have all done, please do get in touch with us and we will send you a code so you can get a free copy anyway that is enough about the reset plan as you can tell i'm incredibly passionate about it here is the episode i hope you enjoy it sarah welcome to the podcast i'm really excited to be chatting to you thank you so much for having me and most people listening will know of you certainly from your first book which just had a massive impact here in the uk the life-changing magic of not giving a fuck and i loved it i love love loved it thought it was brilliant and i've actually read every book you've written since so i'm a bit of a fan over here oh my goodness well thank you so much i was sent your new book last night about saying no. And I think this book is so needed right now. It feels very of the moment to me. And you say in the introduction, what the world needs now is no sweet no. And I just love that. I can't say that without singing the song in my head. (laughs) (laughs) The idea. (laughs) Well, I was wondering why this book and why do you think what the world needs right now is more no sweet no? Well, as I've been writing what what have come to be known as the no fucks given guides, each one of them has felt sort of in the moment. And I don't know if that's true or if it's because actually we all need all of them at all times. But in terms of the new book, Fuck No, How to Stop Saying Yes When You Can't, You Shouldn't, or You Just Don't Want To, I felt like it was a really natural bookend to the life-changing magic of not giving a fuck. It was the kind of thing where people who've read my first book have often followed up with me. Okay, I get it. You're telling me it's all right to say no. It's okay. I'm allowed. But how do I do it? So I thought, well, why don't I devote an entire book to how you do it? And the title of the introduction is a little bit of a wink to the fact that no doesn't have to be nasty or cruel or rude. Um, It doesn't have to make you a jerk or in the parlance of my books, an asshole. It can be a sweet no. It can just be an everybody gets to feel good about this no. And so I spend the majority of the book explaining how to do that with a few, you know, little detours into maybe being a little less nice if necessary. Yeah. And I appreciated some of those as well. We're going to get into those. I love that you say that this book is really about bridging the gap, as you say, between knowing that we want to say no, which is often for a lot of us, a big journey, especially I'm a recovering people pleaser and I know you Mm -hmm. are too. So there's the knowing we want to say no. And then there's the actually being able to get it out your mouth. And then once we've said it, declined it, it's then not having that raging guilt. And I love how much you go into that. So we're going to get into all of that. So why do you think that we need to say no more? What are some of the benefits that you've got from saying no more? I just feel like we're all so overcommitted, you know, whether it's physically, literally with events and tasks and obligations of that nature, or just emotionally and psychically overcommitted, worrying about too many things, having to stay on top of too much. And it's just no way to live your life. And I'm 41 years old, and it probably took me about 
31 years before I really started feeling the burn of my people pleasing, overachieving, overcommitted nature. Another few years of panic attacks and that type of thing before I was able to get a handle on it. And now I'm in this phase where I've realized it's okay to say no. I figured out how to say it. And most importantly, and I talk about this in the book, I have not experienced negative consequences <laughs> of doing so. And I think one of the biggest impediments to saying no and having a manageable load on your mental and your physical to-do list is this self-imposed idea that it's not okay and that there are going to be terrible consequences. And when people just try it, they go, oh, that wasn't as hard as I thought it would be. Nobody was angry at me, you know? (laughs) And it makes sense, doesn't it? Because so often I think, you know, I know that my mum and dad, I rarely saw them modeling saying no or putting themselves first or so I didn't get taught this growing up it was not something that was in my boundaries were not in my lexicon I didn't know about that so as you say I you know I very much the same as you had this view that if you're a nice person you say yes when you're asked to something Exactly. The thing is, what I try to ask my readers to think about is how would you want somebody to respond to your invitation? You're making a friendly invitation, but if they don't want to come or if they can't, do you want to pressure them into it? No. If you're a nice person, you don't want to do that. So you should think about it in terms of what other people are probably thinking. For example, wedding invitations. My wedding invitations went out. Some people couldn't come. I didn't give them a hard time about it. It's like, okay, This is a day of the year that you're not available. I get that. Yeah. Hard feelings. I just think it's important to just remember that you're not in this bubble of self-inflicted guilt and obligation that probably the person on the other end will be understanding. Yeah. And I always think, you know, my recovery from people pleasing, I always think I would be so mortified if someone was at lunch with me who didn't really want to be there because they were actually too busy. And yet I've done that. I've said yes to lunches and coffees and when actually... I don't want to be there. My mind is half in the thing that I think I should be doing rather than actually being sat with that person. So that concept definitely helps me. So something that's quite early on in the book that I love is you help to break down why we find it so hard to say yes. And you talk about these four archetypes, the people pleaser, the overachiever, the pushover and the FOMOer. And then there's a little quiz in the book, which is fantastic, which people will be able to do when they get it. But can you just explain, first of all, why we say yes so easily and then how understanding these four archetypes can help us? Well, I think that people, they're just conditioned, generally speaking, to say yes, to be accommodating, to be nice, to be helpful. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I want to make sure that people don't hear me talking about fuck no and think of it as me giving a giant middle finger to polite society. That's not what it is. It's identifying why you say yes. And it's usually, well, sometimes it's because you want to, but the premise of the book is that for the times when you're saying yes, when you really want to say no, why are you doing it? Why is that instinct there? And for somebody like me, who is a recovering people pleaser and overachiever, I might be doing it because I don't want to let somebody down. I might be doing it because I'm sort of constitutionally incapable of doing a bad job. I might be doing it because I think I'm the only one who will do it well. (laughs) And then for people who are pushovers, you know, I don't identify as a pushover, but some people just don't like conflict. They're very conflict averse. They don't want to make waves. 
They just say yes because they figure it's easier to say yes than it is difficult to do whatever the thing is they've been asked to do. And it often turns out that that's not the case. And then FOMO is fear of missing out. And people who experience FOMO say yes when they want to say no because they're afraid of the consequences. If they don't show up to the party, is everybody going to be having fun without them? Or if they say no to the job offer, are they going to regret it later? So they're really ruled by fear and regret. So those four archetypes are what I use as a guide throughout the book. And there's a quiz so that people can figure out which one they are. Hint, you're probably multiple of them all at the same time. (laughs) And then ways in which you can batten down your own hatches and protect yourself against some of your more natural inclinations to say yes when you want to say no. And do you see with people that have done this quiz, because obviously you must have taken lots of people through it, and do we tend to have more people pleasers out there than FOMOs, or is it just completely a mix? It is completely a mix. All of the people who have taken this quiz, I was actually surprised. There weren't as many people who identified as pushovers. And I know you said you've read all my books, so you're familiar with my chipmunks yes. and get your shit together. Yes. And most people who are Theodores don't admit that they are Theodores. They don't really know, and that's part of their Theodoreness. So I feel like there's probably more pushovers out there, but they just aren't quite ready to admit that they're pushovers. But for the most part, it's a pretty equal dispersal <laughs> of the other types. So let's get into it, because I know everyone listening is going to be like, just tell us how to say no. And you have in the book, you've broken down into the types of no. Can you take Mm -hmm. us through those? So it might be really helpful to give an example. You know, mums, I think we get asked on play dates, for example, oh, would you like to come to play? How do you politely, without being ostracized from the school gates, say no to something like that? So I have a few different no's and one of them is just the hard no, which, you know, it doesn't have to be delivered in a hard manner, meaning a rude manner, but it's just, no, I can't make it. No, that's not going to be possible. Nope. I'm sorry. I'm not available. Very simple. Doesn't require a lot of reasons. I I go into that in the book that you're really not obligated to give your reasons beyond I can't, I shouldn't, or I don't want to. But there's also a really good one, which I call the no for now. And that's something that I use a lot when I don't want to hurt somebody's feelings, or I really do want to do something with and for them, just not on the timeline or in the specific manner that they've approached me with. And that's useful at work. And it's also useful with, you know, mothers and playdates. They don't want to alienate this other parent or they're just really, really busy this week, but they would love to spend some time with this other parent and their child or encourage a friendship between their children. So you can say, I'm not available for what you've requested, but how about and give an alternate option? And that's what I call the no for now. And I find that one is in particular really good for people who are nervous about saying no. You just understand that it's okay to say no for now and yes on your terms at a later date. I've done a few no for nows when I've been nervous about really saying no. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? I've done a bit like, oh no, not I can't right now, but actually that'd be great in a month when really I've wanted to say, I'm just not available for that. You, so you're just kicking the can down. I'm just kicking the can down the road. <laughs> exactly. You know, to be honest, that's a perfectly fine strategy with, you know, the kind of people who only ask you to do something once or twice a year, you can just kind of keep kicking that can and eventually they're going to stop asking. And that's fine. You know, that's how we figure out who we really are and the people we really want to have in our lives and whether it's okay to ask people for things. I understand that a lot of people don't like the confrontation of saying no. And I'm hopeful that in the course of the book, I've given 
literally hundreds of ways to do it in a non-confrontational, polite, zippy, funny, easy way. But I do understand that that can feel a little intimidating. And I love this phrase that you use, which is say what you mean, but don't say it mean. It's just so helpful because as you say, this isn't about, you know, there's that thing that goes around Instagram, isn't it? Which is no is a complete sentence. Mm -hmm. And I've always thought, God, I don't think I've ever met anyone who just says no and walks away. Yeah, I'm getting better at it. Are you? So you you (laughs) can just say no and walk away? Yeah. Wow. I can. I mean, it's not appropriate in every instance, but I've gotten to the point where I'll just say no. (laughs) And then that's the end of the conversation. I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. (laughs) You know, there's a part in the book where I talk about, you know, how basically the aftermath and how to be confident in the no after you say it, if somebody kind of pushes back, which people do. I mean, it's not wrong or unusual for somebody to say, oh, you really can't make it. Are you sure? But you have to consider that in terms of they're just pushing because maybe they'll get what they want. And you're also allowed to push back and say what you don't want. And usually the conversation just plays out in one or two of those back and forths. Are you sure you really can't come? Yeah, I really can't. Well, that's the end of that conversation. <laughs> you know, yeah. there, there isn't really more to say. Because what I see, I don't do this so much anymore, but what I used to do a lot of was I would be able to say, that doesn't work for me. But then I would go into this long, rambling explanation of why. Mm. And I love that in the book where you talk about being clear and concise with our language and boundaries with our language, don't you? Yeah, I think that, first of all, there's a temptation to lie or to embellish the reason why you can't go. And then you get caught in that. And it's even worse. In the end, you have to keep a mental calendar of the reasons you said you couldn't come and then the real reasons you can't come. And then expect to keep them all foremost in your mind whenever you're talking to this person who's invited you to something that you don't want to do. But also just generally, I think, Over the course of the book, I make it clear that the idea is to not only be comfortable saying no, but also be comfortable taking it for an answer, your own self. And part of that is to be aware that it is okay to say no as a complete sentence or no, I'm not available. And you have to be able to hear that from other people too. So the more you put it out into the world, the more likely that other people are going to mirror it back to you. And it's just going to become a much easier existence for all of us. Such a good point. That's such a good point. I hadn't thought of it. It is clearly in that way as you're saying it, which is that, yeah, because it can be triggering, can't it? When we invite someone or we say, do you want to come to my, I think you say, there's an example in the book, do you want to come to my dog's birthday party? (laughs) 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 and someone just says no I can find that quite triggering for sure but I love what you're saying which is actually that's that person respecting you respecting their time and then in a way that models and gives us the freedom to then be able to go and put that energy out into the world I love that cyclical idea This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. And therapy is a space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. Therapy is just an incredible, safe, non-judgmental space. I absolutely love it. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule, which I think as busy mums is what we all need. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. 
So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash motherkind today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash motherkind. I love the people who can just say no to me in a timely fashion. The friends of mine who are my favorite people are the ones who can make a decision and say yes or no and follow through on it. I don't love the people who hem and haw and say they're going to come and cancel at the last minute and do that 10 times. And then I think, if you really didn't want to come, just say no. I'm planning something here and I need to know what the numbers are, whatever it is. I just really respect somebody who can say yes or no and then go on with their life. Yes. And it's like Brené Brown says, clear is kind. And I Mm -hmm. always remember that. I'm actually being really kind to the other person when I can just say, as you say, no, that doesn't work for me as quickly as possible. I want to talk to you about guilt because something that I see a lot in my clients that I work with is we'll work on boundaries and I'll get them setting some boundaries that maybe they've never done before, but they will say the guilt of saying no to their, you know, whatever it might be, half cousins christening or, you know, something Mm -hmm. that they just don't want to go to. They will say that they feel ravaged with guilt. Mm -hmm. What would you say to someone who's able to know they don't want to go? They're able to say they don't want to go, but then they're spending the next week ruminating on how terrible they feel. Well, I ask four questions and well, it's two questions with two parts each. Is your guilt warranted or unwarranted? And by warranted, I mean, are you doing something or contemplating doing something really objectively bad? And if the answer is not going to a christening, I don't count that as objectively bad. If the answer is formulating an anti-Catholic protest outside the church where your cousin is having their child's christening, that's objectively bad. Don't do that. Like, you know, don't be an (laughs) asshole. So if we've gotten to the point where, you know, your guilt is unwarranted because you really have done nothing objectively wrong, then the question is, is this purely self-imposed or is it the result of outside pressure? And in most people's case, and I said earlier in this interview, they are imposing guilt on themselves before they've even tried to say no, before anybody has reacted to their no, because nobody knows they're going to say no. (laughs) They have thought about saying no, and they have started to feel extremely guilty. And what I would say is, you know, you have to ignore those whispers that are coming from inside your own head and try it and say the no. And 75% of the time, it's going to be fine. And then 25% of the time, there are going to be people who give you a hard time about it. And I give really specific examples in the book about what you can say to those people and how you can react. The point is, if you have done nothing wrong or you are contemplating doing something that is not objectively wrong, then don't let yourself get tied up in this self-imposed guilt about it. Give it a shot. Say no. Give a reason. Don't give a reason. Most people will let it go because, you know, as I say in the book, I have learned over the last five years since I wrote The Life-Changing Magic of Not Giving a Fuck and have really been much more careful about spending my fuck budget on things that I care about and not spending it on things that I don't. Most people don't really care nearly as much about how I live my life as I thought they would. It's really true. You know, people are not spending their time thinking about whether you're going to a party. Yeah, it's so true. We're just not that important, right? <laughs> we really aren't. No. You have to kind of decide no. that you are not the center of most people's universe. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I think just on this christening vein, christenings, weddings, birthday parties, particularly around family, I see this coming a lot with people that I speak to and work with. Mm-hmm. Can you help us? Because I love that when you talk about being actually obligated versus feeling obligated. How on earth do we untangle that web? How do we know when we actually 
have to go to something to be like a nice, decent human? And how do we know when we're just feeling that obligation? Because that can be tricky if you've been a people pleaser all your life to untangle those two. So I have a whole section entitled, do I really have to? And it's because, you know, I I have these questions, must I, should I, will I? And to me, if you're talking about obligation, you have got to boil it down to its essence, which is a literal obligation. Like you have to show up at your job in order to receive your paycheck. You are obligated to do that. All of these other things that people tend to think of, they have a sense of obligation, particularly when it comes to family, turn out to not actually be obligations. You have choice. Now, depending on what kind of family you come from and what your relationships are with those people, it could feel more like a, well, I should anyway. Even if I don't have to and I don't want to, I should because. I should because, and I use the measure of it helps say it's my sister. I don't have a sister. So this is a good example. I'm not offending anybody by saying it. I don't have a sister, but say her kid was having a christening and I, I'm not obligated to go because what am I getting paid to go to a christening? No, I'm not obligated. And I don't want to, but I should, because it hurts her more for me to say no than it hurts me to have to go. So that's sort of the measure. I talk about that in all my books with regard to being selfish. As long as your decision is helping you more than it's hurting somebody else. I don't consider that a bad, selfish decision. Take that a step further. Maybe my sister's being unreasonable for that to hurt her so much that I wouldn't come to a christening. Maybe she knows I'm not religious and that it makes me uncomfortable to go spend some time in church indoctrinating a baby into the ways of a of a religion that I don't feel comfortable with. You know, there's all these other reasons that individual people have for doing and not doing the things that they do and don't want to do. And that's where other lessons of fuck no come into play, which is, you know, are you doing something objectively bad or not? Is this guilt self-inflicted or not? Is it a true obligation or not? And where does that level of, well, I should do it anyway versus, you know what, I shouldn't have to do this come in. And you probably don't have this because I just created it, but there's a flow chart that comes in this book, just like all my other books. And it really walks you through this particular situation of, do I really have to do this? And it asks you all of these questions. So hopefully it'll be a really good tool for people when they're trying to make those slightly thornier obligation-based decisions. Yeah, because I think this is such an important area because I know it's something that a lot of mums grapple with because I think it's relatively easy. Mum at the school gate, you know, do you want to come on a play date? To some extent, we can do that. It's often this family stuff, as you say, that can start to get really tricky, particularly if you've got an enmeshed family or a family where no one's ever put down boundaries before like that. It can feel really challenging. And I think that it sounds like, like you're right, I haven't seen that flow chart. It wasn't in the copy. But it sounds like that's going to be really helpful because I know that my mind might play tricks on me around this because mm-hmm. it, it might say, well, actually, because I avoid conflict, I'm a conflict avoider. So mm-hmm. I'm quite likely to say, well, it would hurt me less than it would to say no to that. But the, I could use that as a little get out knowing myself. It's helpful to actually have the conversation with your family member. Again, it's possible that they'll be like, okay, I understand. Thanks for letting me know. And if they don't, and they really want to give you a hard time about it, you can say, what I'm hearing you say is that you would like me to be somewhere that you know, I don't want to be. Is that true? And they might say, oh, you know what? Yeah. Okay. I hear you. 
It's fine. I understand. They might give you a really big guilt trip. You might decide that it's worth it to you to cave. But the premise of the book is that you're allowed to decide that it is not worth it. You're allowed to decide that doing what you want and not doing what you don't want is a perfectly fine way to live your life and that there's nothing wrong with that and be comfortable being that person. And you might have to weather a little bit of passive aggressive commentary and you might have to weather a little bit of FOMO. You know, I talk in the book about how to kind of get over that both in a professional context and in a fun context, but you're still going to have a little bit of it, but you just have to be comfortable in who you are and confident in the decisions that you've made. And if they turn out to be the wrong decisions, you can make them differently next time. Every invitation we say no to is not the last invitation we will ever receive. You can, uh, you know, change your tune as things go on. Yeah. And that's that fear-based thinking, isn't it? Which is like, if Mm -hmm. I say no to this, I'm never going to get asked again, which is, as you say, just fear-based. It's totally not the reality. So I think we've done a great job of explaining why we need to say no and how to do it. And what are some of the big benefits that you've experienced, that you've seen your readers experience, who've put these methods into place? What starts to happen when you say no more? So for me, very specifically in terms of saying no to taking on too many responsibilities, both work obligations and social obligations, it has freed me up. I'm still a busy person. I still have a lot going on. You know, I'm writing these books and I'm traveling and I'm making time for my husband and my friends and my family, but not over committing, habitually over committing as I did for 30 plus years has just made me an overall calmer, happier person, prioritizing my need for sleep, prioritizing my need for downtime. You know, it doesn't even necessarily have to be sleeping, but just knowing that I am the type of person who requires time to myself to recharge after, for example, traveling to do a speaking engagement or something. I need to know that I have set some boundaries when I get back that I don't do anything for half a day. I don't answer emails. I don't go out to lunch with my friends because I just need to recharge. And so for me, saying no has just opened up and made better the free time that I do have. Another thing is that it helps people gain confidence in who they really are and realize that it's okay to be a person who doesn't want to go to working lunches. For my old job, I used to feel really pressured to go on these, what turned into sort of 90 minute to two hour one-on-one theater performances in order to schmooze with literary agents. I was a book editor and so they would send me their clients and I felt like I needed to do this, but it also felt like such a waste of my day when I really wanted to be at my desk doing two hours worth of work that I had to accomplish that day. And over time, I just stopped going on lunches. I just started saying no, and it didn't hurt my business. I still got great projects. I still published fantastic books. I was just an editor who probably went out to lunch once a week instead of five days a week, and that was okay. So again, I would you know encourage people to try it, to try saying no to the thing that they don't want to do and experience that little shot of benefit. And then you get excited about it and you want to do it some more. So, you know, I think that the benefits to saying no are that you can trim away a lot of the excess things that you didn't really want to be doing in the first place. 
And also you become more sure of and more confident in who you are and what you do like and what you don't like. And then you can live the rest of your life as that person. (laughs) You know, you might have 10, 20, 30, 40 more years to be a person who says no and has a better life. And that seems worth it to me. And it feels good, right? Like I know when I do this and I am in recovery from this. So I, you know, I'm pretty good at boundaries and saying no, generally, it just feels good. I feel really empowered like you say, it's all those benefits, but also my esteem rises. I actually found that when I was saying yes, when I meant to say no, my esteem would take a massive kick every time I did Because that. it makes you feel weak. Yes. And Disem- you don't want to be a weak person Disem- or Disem- in disempowered. my power to push over. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And what about your anxiety? Because you talk quite openly in your books and you mentioned at the top of the interview about panic attacks. And how's that today, putting these methods into your life? I've gotten much, much better over the course of the last several years. And my last book, that's the most current one that's out on the shelves now is called Calm the Fuck Down. And it's entirely about anxiety and stress and problem solving. And I think writing that book sent me into my final stage of, uh, I wouldn't say conquering my anxiety because it will never be conquered, but really learning how to manage it. And I'm a person now who makes decisions and doesn't allow myself to second guess them. Some people can never get through the decision-making. And that's what gives them the anxiety. For me, I would make the decision and then I would worry about it after the fact. So I've gotten to a point now in my life where I really don't worry about decisions after the fact. Um, And that has helped me decrease my anxiety. And part of it is what I said earlier, which is like, if it turns out to have been the wrong one, I will just make adjustments next time I have the opportunity rather than drive myself crazy about what if it was the wrong one. So for me, I think that saying no has made me feel more confident. It has made people respect my game. (laughs) You know, I can't tell you how many people, friends and strangers and family members and in-laws have said to me like, God, I wish I could say no like you. Well, Soon, once you read Fuck No, (laughs) you too will be able to say confident, easy, non-confrontational, not rude, no's, and then be the no that you want to hear in the world. Go out there and do it your own self. And I have to say, I relate to everything that you're saying, particularly around the decision making. I used to think that there was a right decision, even for what to have for dinner. Or I'd be that person in the restaurant where I'd order and then I'd change my order five minutes later. And just as you're describing, what really helped me the same was just knowing, no, I'll just get a different set of experiences. And it's like an experiment, isn't it? Did I like that set of experiences that I got? If not, I'll tweak it next time. And that's been quite a game changer for me as well. Just to start finishing up, something else that I love that you talk about in this book is the benefit of saying no for others in your life. And I was thinking Mm -hmm. about that in terms of children. Because something that I see, you know, I live in London, there's a lot going on all the time. I see mums that can't say no, that are saying yes. And then their children are doing like five birthday parties a day or can you talk to us about that about when we can get this right how it can have a massive positive impact on other people around us too on their energy particularly when they're children and actually they don't have a chance always to say yes or no we're making those decisions for them Yeah. And, you know, just like any other behavior that a parent can exhibit that can adversely affect their child, such as anxiety, I do think, and I want to just preface this so that you don't get any hate mail for it. I am not a mother. I am very clear about this in all of my books. I understand that for me to give advice about parenting and all of that is I'm one step removed from it. But I think that's why 
I can give certain advice because I have this ability to step outside and look at it objectively and rationally. And my feeling is that all children are going to grow into people who are going to need to be able to take no for an answer and who are going to need to be able to say it confidently. So the more that you model that for your children from early on, the better they are going to be at it. The less difficult your life is going to be as you go on, because they will have learned how to take no for an answer from you and other people. And the better you're going to feel about their ability to make their own decisions with confidence and to stick to them. So I happen to have, I have a lot of little nieces and nephews. A lot of my friends have kids ranging in age from two years old to 12 years old. And I have never had a problem saying no to these kids. And I've never sent any of them running, crying back to their parents, (laughs) being upset about the way I said no to them because I talk to them in a rational way. I give them reasons why, and they take that in And they're, I think, going on and using it in their lives so that they can make their own future decisions and so that they can behave themselves when the answer is no and they don't like it. So again, I know that probably sounds facile to moms who are in the thick of it, but I have a little exercise in the book called What Would Sarah Knight Do?, which is, you know what, if you're having a really hard time saying no to your child, just pretend you're me channel me for a minute because I don't feel guilty about saying no to your child (laughs) and think about how you would say no if you were just saying no to a regular person who doesn't happen to be your baby and see if you can cough it up in the moment and then see what happens. And obviously it's going to take a little bit of adjusting for every parent-child relationship, but I do think that kids need to learn and they can learn it in the polite, honest way that I'm teaching you to do it in fuck no. They can learn that from you and then they can be able to go forth in the world and politely, honestly turn things down that they don't want to do. And everybody's going to be happier for it. Yeah, exactly. They're not going to need this book in 20 years. If we can model it, that's for sure. That was for sure. Right. One of the most helpful things that someone said to me, actually, because I've got a four-year-old. So, you know, I'm setting boundaries. I'm saying no. And she's reacting to that. She will throw herself mm-hmm. on the floor and scream, often in public. And I can't remember where I read it because I read so much. But You know, when you get on a fairground ride and they put the bar down, the first thing that everyone does is rattle the bar. Mm -hmm. But you're not rattling the bar in the hope that it flies open. You're rattling the bar to check that it's safe and secure. I don't know. There's something about that analogy that just really worked for me when I'm saying no to Jessie and putting a boundary down. I just think she's just rattling the bar. She wants to feel safe. She wants to know that this bar is not going to fly open, i.e. I'm not going to suddenly go, oh, okay, go on then. And that just... That is a great analogy. It just change things for me. And so when she's on the floor screaming in the supermarket, I think she's just rattling the bar. I've just got to make sure that the bar stays down and safe. And that really, really helped me. And, you know, Brené Brown talks about this a lot, doesn't she? But our children learn about boundaries from us. So if we Mm -hmm. can't hold a boundary with them, I don't want to send a teenager out into the world who can't say no. That's my fear. I don't want that. I want absolutely her. and and not having a child who, you know, I understand why a four year old would react by tantruming, mm. but you don't want to let them become an eleven and a thirteen and a sixteen year old who reacts that way. My friend Holly is really fantastic at this with her son, whose name is Gus. From very early on, if he started to hyperventilate and react badly to being told no, she would say, No fussin', no fussin'. And he would kind of look at her and eventually he would self-soothe. He would say to himself when he got into that state, he would say, no fussing, no fussing. And then he would just calm right down and then go on about his day. Because frankly, being told, no, I will not 
played checkers with you for the 14th time in a row is not a bad no to say to your child. (laughs) She's not hurting him by saying no to that. And he has to understand that when he's feeling devastated by this totally reasonable no, he has to calm himself down and say, why am I feeling this way? That's not appropriate. No fussing. I'm sure he's not thinking of it in quite those terms, but it really works. Mm, That's a really good one. Because the reality is, as we get into the world, the world is full of no's, isn't it? Of people saying no to us. You know, coming back, I love just thinking about just as people say no to us, we are able, capable, and in a way obliged to say no to others too. I love the book. I think it's so of the moment, as you say, it does feel like that to me. What I love so much about your work is how practical it is. And the whole second section of the book is all about some phrases that people can use. You give like actual examples of common objections to boundaries, how to hold Mm -hmm. them. It's just fantastic. It's such a useful resource. We can't go into it all now, but hopefully we've given people a flavour of the book and helped people just through this chat think about this in a different way. So at the end of every interview, I ask the same question, which is if you could give just one gift to all the mothers out there in the world, what would you give them and why? I would give them the gift of some alone time. Honestly, I would... Whenever my friends have had babies, I've always bought something off of their registry because I know they're lacking whatever these basic tools are that are required for children. But the more I see motherhood happening around me, the more I think that all a mom really wants and needs is an hour and a half to herself. And you can give that to somebody by babysitting, or you can give that to somebody by getting them a gift certificate to a massage parlor. You know, there are a lot of different ways to do it, but I think that all a mom really needs and wants is just a little bit of time to herself to regroup. Yes, you are absolutely spot on. And what an amazing <laughs> friend you must be to all your mums to know that and say, I'm not I'm not going to buy you another toy. I'm going to buy you an hour. You know, I'm going to gift you an hour where I'll watch the baby and you can go and rest. That is... Or I'll let my husband watch your baby. Yeah. <laughs> I'll give up an hour with him so that he can babysit for you. Nice. That's your I'm, not, no. I'm not that altruist. That's your no. I like it. <laughs> well, thank you so much. It's been such a joy to chat to you. I really appreciate you having me on. And, uh, you know, hopefully we're spreading the good word to lots of people who need it. We absolutely are. Thank you. So that was the episode. I hope that you really enjoyed it. As ever, if you did, please consider sharing it with your friends and leaving me a review on iTunes. It really does make a difference to the number of mums that we can reach with the brilliant wisdom of the guests I have on. Also, just a reminder about the Family Reset Plan. It's my latest offering to parents. I think that we are living in probably the challenge of our lifetimes. Well, definitely so far. And as parents, we not only have to support ourselves, we also have to support our children. And that is a lot. So the Family Reset Plan is myself and two brilliant psychologists And we give you step-by-step, simple, applicable ways that you can support yourself emotionally to feel stronger, calmer, and therefore to support your children in a different way. It's all grounded in psychology and neuroscience. It's just £25 currently. That is for a limited time only. The price will be going up. So get it now while it's just £25. And if you work for the NHS, it is totally free for you. So check out the website familyresetplan.co.uk. Take care. I'll see you next time.